2: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: This is the Sooner Sports Podcast. Your all-access pass to Sooner Sports. The Sooner Sports Podcast is presented by Allstate. Are you in good hands? And by Riverwind Resort. Riverwind Resort, the place to be. Oh, mama! What place! Now, here's your host, Chris Plank. All right, welcome into the Sooner Sports Podcast. We call our Friday edition the tailgate to get you ready for everything in Sooner Athletics coming up this weekend. Hey, Leah Wodak, speaking of a big weekend the senior catcher for the Sooners will join us on today's edition of the tailgate. What a weekend against Texas for Leah Wodak. She had an ESPN sports center, top 10 play, and she had the walk-off game winning hit against Texas on Sunday and Oh, By the way, since talking to Leah, we actually taped that interview for today's podcast on Tuesday. Uh, Since talking to Leah, the Sooners have clinched their seventh straight outright Big 12 championship. They will be the number one seed in the Big 12 tournament starting in Oklahoma City coming up next weekend. And then later on in the podcast, we'll sit down with Mary Kay Cabot. She writes for the Cleveland Browns. She covers the Cleveland Browns. She writes for the Cleveland Plain Dealer. It's online at cleveland.com. And... We're a week removed from the NFL draft, so we spent a lot of time hearing from Baker last week, talking a lot about uh, Oboe as a Ram, Orlando Brown Jr. and Mark Andrews as Ravens, and all of the undrafted free agent guys and their opportunities at the next level. But have we really gone in-depth yet on truly understanding what's in front of Baker, how this process played out, and what that new regime and kind of that new mindset is in Cleveland. So Mary Kay has been one of my favorite NFL writers, so I thought how cool might it be to have her on the Sooner Sports Podcast this week. She'll wrap things up for us coming up today. But as always, we appreciate you downloading, listening, and subscribing to the Sooner Sports Podcast. Tell a friend, TV slash podcast. And of course, share it. Put it out on social media. Help us spread the word with uh, what we're doing as we continue to strive to bring you the best in Sooner Athletics. And here's a quick note. Every show we do is available in our archive. So if you ever miss anything, let's say it's a rough afternoon and you're wanting to relive the Ohio State win, you can go back and listen to Toby and our podcast. But I would encourage you tomorrow, Monday, whenever – to go back in the archives just to Wednesday and Jessica Coody sit down with Lauren Chamberlain and hearing Lowe talk about Jocelyn Lowe and where she is and where she's going, I think is some of the best podcasting we've had on this platform. So do yourself a favor, check out the archives, and thanks as always for listening. So what do you say we get after it? Time for the Sooner Sports Podcast Tailgate Edition, and we start things off with the senior, Leah Woda. Romero hits it towards the right side, Wodak coming home, the throw towards home is offline, Wodak will dance around the tag, oh, and touch yay! the plate safely, are you kidding me, Leah Wodak? Here's the pitch, ground ball, base it into left field, walk off Wodak, win column Sooners, what a rally, what a comeback, what an at bat. Oklahoma wins it by a final score of 5-4 to four in extra innings on a walk-off by Leah Wodak. It was a big weekend for Leah, obviously a game winner, obviously a Center top 10 play, as you just heard. But, Leah, I would have to imagine you co-hosting the Brahms Coach's Corner with head coach Patty Gasso and yours truly had to be the absolute highlight of the weekend, wasn't it? Uh,
3: I think that's still the highlight of my weekend for sure. <laughs>
1: All right. Let's go through a couple of things. First, will you explain to everyone how hard and how often you guys work? And I don't even hate—I hate to use the term "dancing," but in understanding what you can do within the baseline rundowns, this is a common theme in practice, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I think it's—it's um, it's kind of funny because we were talking, laughing after the game about how many times that's happened to me at practice with my own teammates. You know, Kylie, Nicole, Emily, Foley are the ones that come to mind, but they do it to me all the time. And so it was kind of funny to actually get to use it in a game on somebody else. Um, but yeah, I think just taking the mentality, like I was saying earlier that um, we're not going to give up and not just become an easy out. And so we're going to make every play last. And if that means dancing around a play at home, then that's what that is. But just not, not surrendering, not giving in and um, not making anything easy for the other teams.
1: From your perspective, since you've worked so hard and I don't want to give away any trade secrets, But how much of an advantage in those situations do you have from having been on that other end? Because you've been the catcher whenever you're trying to tag out. You mentioned Fale or Nicole or CeCe or whomever it is that's dancing around. How much does that help you in a situation like that to know when to try to make your move?
3: Um, I think, I mean, it helps a lot. And just having the presence of mind in that situation to make something happen and – and to, to try to take home, I guess. I don't know. It's kind of funny because um, it happens so fast. But if you can make it slow down and make make the situation slow down and become slower than what it really is because you've been in those situations before, I think that definitely helps.
1: You know what's kind of funny is I was watching the replay of it this morning, and when it was happening live, it seemed like it was moving so slowly, but when you watch it again, it, it, and I don't mean that to knock on your speed at all, Leah, but it just—it it seemed like it, when you rewatched it, it was so bang bang, and it was so instinctive. Yeah. What, what's been your thought now as you've watched it back and you see it almost become viral? Um, I
3: don't even. I think I just I laugh a lot of the time. Um, <laughs> I think it's funny, but um. I don't know. Like I said, we just we do that. That's how we practice. We practice. We try to practice. We try to play how we practice, and we practice hard all the time. So I'm not necessarily surprised that it happened because, like I said, we do this all the time. This is like a daily thing for us. And um, I don't know. Just when you get the opportunity to capitalize in a game, you kind of got to take advantage. But like I said, I look back and I laugh a lot. Um, People keep showing me videos and sending me and talking to me about how funny it is.
1: And
3: um, I don't know. It's just pretty
1: funny in my eyes and I I I think one of my favorite things is just seeing not just the reaction to it but Leah the understanding how hard you guys as a team work at that with that said you've been working you've been grinding uh you've added a little Justin Turner leg kick at times to your swing this season you get to walk (laughs) off on Sunday how has that approach changed for you how do you feel about the way things are going at the plate for you this season
3: no, I feel much better. Um, I've been working with Coach Gasol a lot about, you know, having taken a different plan at the plate and um, just really focusing in, trying to see the ball a lot better, um, trying to find ways on and almost really just embracing the idea that a walk's as good as a hit and not that I'm going up there looking to walk, but um, definitely embracing those moments and really trying just to find a way on, whether it's an air, a base hit, a walk, a walk off, whatever it is, it's trying to get the barrel to the ball and just be something for my team and trying to start things for my team. So it's helped a lot, and I feel I feel a lot better at the plate. I feel more confident, and I'm just trusting myself.
1: You know, it's it's kind of amazing whenever I look back at your career and see everything that you've had to overcome. I mean, I, I didn't travel with you guys your freshman year, but, Leah, your sophomore year, you're entrenched as a left fielder, and then suddenly you're thrust back into your national natural position behind the plate, which, again, not that big of an adjustment – but there was no one behind you. It was you, and that was pretty much it. Uh, and then next to your your junior season, you have the, the injury to your knuckle, and you've got to battle through that. And I know things didn't go up the plate that you wanted to. And now, you know, by your senior season, it's just the compilation of everything to where you've, you've fought through so many injuries and you've grinded through so many things. How rewarding is it to see this team, with everything personally you've been through, competing and winning the way that they are this year
3: yeah it's awesome um yeah it's super awesome i mean we have we have solid freshmen we have solid bench we have i mean just returners that have been there done that kind of so it's really fun i think we have really good chemistry and everything's starting to fall in place a little bit and everyone's starting to really um embrace and and take a hold of their role and um, everyone's helping the team everyone's willing to help the team as much as they can so it's fun Um, I mean, I only have, I don't like to count down the days, but it's something like, I don't know, about 15 games left. And it's taking on the mentality that we're just going to leave everything we have on the field and not hold anything back. And I know this senior class is super excited and um, just loving every moment and really trying to cherish everything. And so it's fun to see this team be as good as we can. And I think what's awesome is that I don't really even feel like we've peaked yet. I feel like we're still growing and still learning. And um, I feel like the best is yet to come. So.
1: You know, it's kind of funny that you say that. I feel the same way. I mean, I I feel like this team's best ball is still in front of it. And that's got to be incredibly exciting because, as Coach always talked about, I can remember some of our early conversations. Leah, you want to win every game, but you don't have to be your best in February or March. But you need to start getting to your best in May and then obviously throughout this month. What have you seen – that's improved the most in this team over the last couple of weeks? I, I know that's kind of an unfair question. Maybe I should have given you a heads up, but from your personal <laughs> perspective, what have you seen from this team that's really kind of led you to believe that, hey, our, our best is yet to come and we're continuing to improve?
3: Um, I think I think a big thing that is hard to to really teach and it's hard to, to come by, I think it's clutch hitting, and I think we struggled with that early on. We left a lot of runners on base. Um, early on in the season and there were a couple games that um, that we lost that we feel like we probably could have won or maybe had a better chance to win if we could have just had the clutch hit at the right time or even games that that we were winning that we weren't winning maybe by as much as we wanted to or didn't have the outing that we wanted to I mean we're coming in the in the locker room after the game and talking about 13 14 15 runners left on base and that can't happen and if you want to win championships and you want to go far and make a deep postseason run then clutch hitting is super important and I think that was very evident against um, Texas this weekend. I mean, Texas was a great team and great pitching staff, and they really, really pushed us and made us grow and get clutch hits from people like Jocelyn and who maybe haven't been in that situation before um, to have two home runs in a huge game. And I know, I mean, we all know Shay's super clutch and Mickey P to step up in that situation is just awesome. And so we're starting to see those clutch hits um, come into place, and we're starting to see our, our pitching staff really settle in, which they kind of have been all year, but. Um, pitching staff and defense I feel like are just continuing to grow and we're seeing Paige Lowry elevate her game on another level and uh, Mariah's kind of going to another level and Paige Parker as always is just continuing to dominate on the mound and so but I think what really sticks out to me is clutch at bats clutch hitting and clutch pitch hitting I mean we have Alexis Schultz coming in off the bench I mean o- Aliyah Flores had some huge at bats this weekend that just can't go unnoticed. Um so it's it's interesting to see people, like I said, finding their roles and really taking advantage of, of pinch hit opportunities and and, taking, and having those clutch at-bats in the times that we need them.
1: Great answer. Leah Wodak's hanging out with us. She's getting set for Oklahoma State and this weekend. <laughs> Sooners need one win to clinch an outright Big 12 championship. But you guys are driven by finishing – well, you, you want to win a national championship. But is, is finishing conference undefeated a big deal for you guys?
3: Absolutely. Um, I don't we haven't really we don't talk about it much because we like to just stay in the moment and once you start looking at the bigger picture that's when you lose what's in front of you. But yeah. um taking it game by game and just really trying to do something that we haven't done since I've been here and hasn't been done I think since like the nineties. I think Nebraska might have done it a long time ago. But um yeah, just really trying to focus on the moment and knowing that Oklahoma State's gonna bring everything they got. I mean, we're playing for big 12 championship this weekend and i think we're more focused on that but if the undefeated um big 12 reign comes with it then that's awesome but i think we're more focused on winning a big 12 championship because that's that's the first goal that we're going to put out in front of us i mean if you don't win the big 12 championship you're not setting yourself up to win championships later on in the season so that's definitely a lot of people ask us you know National Championship this, National Championship that. But I think it's important to know that we're a team that's driven by the present moment and we're really focusing on what's ahead of us this weekend.
1: Man, I, okay, I got so many more questions for you. We don't have a lot of time. Let me go one by one here. <laughs> you mentioned this team rounding into postseason form. How about the crowd rounding into postseason form? And I don't know if you saw this <laughs> or not. Uh, what What's your friend's name that was in this weekend? Uh, Becca. Okay, so your mom is in the grandstands. Becca's in the outfield, right? And they're getting a Boomer Sooner chant going between the grandstands and the outfield. And to <laughs> see see them coordinate and, and pointing at each other, that and, and then how everyone responded to where you guys brought a little extra energy, Leah. That had to be not only fun but something pretty unique and exciting for this team.
3: Yeah, I think we really really embraced the crowd this weekend. We were trying to we had a practice where we talked about at the end of practice about how are we going to get the fans more involved? How are we going to make this more fun for everybody? And um, so, yeah, it was awesome to see my friend and my mom doing what they did. It was kind of funny. We actually were at dinner the night before and I said, you guys have an assignment for tomorrow. And they were like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, we need to get boomer sooner going from the outfield to the infield because as an opposing team to feel the the crowd and the energy in a place like that, where it's just packed and sold out uh, is it's, it's overwhelming. It can be daunting at times, and so um, I think they successfully completed their assignment. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I think a lot of it too is that we're just trying to have fun and stay loose with it too. I mean, you might see me coming out of the dugout playing the air guitar, and just trying to get the crowd to laugh and loosen up, and trying to get ourselves to loosen up a little bit. But really, using the crowd to your advantage because it is an advantage to play at home, and we're selling out every crowd, which is awesome, and we we have, I believe, the best fans in the country. So it's it's important that we use them to an advantage versus just, um, you know, them watching the game and being spectators. We want to kind of make it one, um, one group and one, one family out there.
1: Uh-oh. Did I reach my level where your dog's mad at me now? Does he need to be walked? Are you okay? We got time for one more. <laughs> we,
3: get... yeah, we got all
1: Because I wanted to wrap away. up with your family, uh, your dad, Jim, obviously I know that he's been key for you, your brother, um, you're a sports family. I mean, your dad was joking with me whenever I was uh, bringing up how my daughter had a princess party whenever she turned four four years old. And he's like, I don't even know what that would be like because maybe at like a five- or six-year birthday party, we're having a wiffle ball tournament or something of that nature. (laughs) Sports have been ingrained in not just your life but your whole family's life, hasn't it? Yeah,
3: absolutely. I mean, it's been – Sports, sports, sports since day one. I mean, my brother's a coach. My dad's a coach. Um, my mom played sports growing up, and I just played every sport I possibly could growing up. So it's just, just kind of what it's been, and it's fun. It's, it's, weird to see, it's weird to see it all coming to an end for me here, but I think it's awesome that they're out here, and we're just really cherishing every moment. And, um, yeah, it's, it's been sports all day, every day.
1: <laughs> Love it. Hey, a final thought. Do you tailor your conversations to different pitchers? In other words, when you go out to the circle, there's some people want humor, uh, and for the most part, it's usually just making sure everyone's on the same page. But when you're going out to talk to Paige Lowry, Parker Conrad, Paige Parker, I mean, and you and Paige Parker have worked together for a long time. How different are some of those conversations you're having with them?
3: Yeah, that's an interesting question. I feel like they're very, very different. Um, just knowing uh, what they need to hear in the moment and really having those relationships with them. Um, trying to like like last year I I feel like I really grew with Paige Lowry and Mariah and how to how to approach them and what they need to hear um then Paige Parker and I just have that bond from this is our third year together so it's like knowing exactly what she wants to hear during certain times so yeah absolutely I feel like they both they all respond to to different things at different times and um you know some of them maybe I need to keep a little more loose and some of them need to be more serious I might need to get on them a little bit more but uh definitely just knowing the situation and who I'm talking to and what needs to be said and absolutely I feel like that's definitely something I focus on and even I mean I'll have conversations with coach Lombardi about you know hey take take them out to lunch or talk to them at figure out what needs to be said and what what they want to hear when you're coming out there so.
1: Leah Wodak special she has gone through and battled through so much as an Oklahoma Sooner it's fun to see her Really having the success that she deserves, and this whole team. Sooners will play on Friday afternoon into the evening next week in the first games, first session of the Big 12 tournament. And then, of course, championship Saturday. And then we'll all sit around. Think about this. A week from Sunday is the college softball selection show. As we sit on this Friday morning, Sooners are in a great position to not only host a regional, but put themselves in position to host a super regional. Is Baker Mayfield in a good position in Cleveland? Well, we're just a little over a week from that amazing Thursday night in Dallas. With the first pick in the 2018 NFL Draft, the Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield, quarterback, Oklahoma.
3: It's a clean slate. What I've done in the past, I had a lot of fun,
1: great memories, but it's starting fresh now. So everybody starts over, and that's what I'm looking forward to doing. So where do we go from here? What's the locker room makeup going to look like? How different is this new regime in Cleveland? We caught up with Cleveland Plain dealer, beat writer for the Browns, Mary Kay Cabot. Mary, first and foremost, just out of curiosity, when did it really start to kind of build for you? When did that buzz finally hit a point to where you thought, okay, this might happen. Baker's going to go number one.
2: Well, I started to have uh, an idea that they were serious about Baker Mayfield at the Senior Bowl when talking to John Dorsey. And I asked him the, uh, you know, the inevitable Johnny Manziel question, or, or the other one of the other reporters that I was with, one of us. We were just going down that character road with him, and he got kind of defensive and said, you know, you guys are the ones that are creating this character narrative. So uh, he was he got he jumped to defend Baker at that time. So I knew then that he really liked him a lot because uh, of his reaction to that. So. Uh, that was the first thing. Then there, I also heard that Scott McLuhan, the Browns consultant, uh, that that was his guy, that, that he loved Baker Mayfield and that he was going to uh, really keep working on John Dorsey on this. But at that point, John already liked him himself. So, uh, you know, those guys started really getting uh, digging in there in earnest way back in the fall. And then they kind of fell back to the pack a little bit. It, it sort of got buried in the uh you know the whole sam darnold narrative and then i started hearing also at the senior bowl uh that that uh john dorsey really liked josh allen and a lot of smoke screens get put out around uh places so that nobody really knows what's going on uh so for a while i was kind of going down the josh allen road really thinking that they'd go for a big armed really big six foot five guy and uh, and i had actually people convincing me that that is 100 percent what John Dorsey was going to do. So I think I got off the Baker scent for a while. Uh, And then it was at the NFL owners meetings when I asked Hugh Jackson, Baker was still legitimately in the discussion. And this was in March. Yeah. Around March 26th, if he was still legitimately in the discussion. And he said, there's no doubt he absolutely still is in the discussion. That's when I Put out that little hee hee video that you guys may have seen. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was at that point where I really started to suspect that that he was serious about this.
1: What's been the reaction in Cleveland? I mean, obviously we watched the draft and. I mean, again, I'm very anti the Manziel conversation, but I do think it's kind of interesting when you look at the way this fan base reacted to Manziel getting drafted as opposed to Baker Mayfield, uh, even some of the pundits' reaction to it. But what what has been, what are you hearing from Browns fans?
2: Well, it's kind of a mixed bag. There's a lot of people that like Baker, and there's a lot of people that are Johnny Manziel-weary. And I think the, the comparison has been there not just because they're six foot tall and they're Heisman Trophy winners and all those sorts of things, but, you know, from the outside looking in, there was just a whole series of, of incidents of sort of, you know, maturity concerns and issues that reminded a lot of people here of Johnny Manziel. And you, you guys, I don't have to run through the list, but you know, there were things that in addition to, you know, the six foot tall Heisman Trophy winner that made you think of Johnny and um so I thought it was important to get established early on, right when Baker came into town. You know, those antics are behind me. I'm not going to be doing that sort of stuff. And nobody is suggesting that Baker has these substance abuse issues at all that, that Johnny had. That's never been t- part of a discussion. It's just the, the maturity, the, the sort of going over the top, which he's even admitted himself, that, you know, the crotch grab and the flag plant and... Mm-hmm. You know, the, the arrest and those different things are, have not been a good look for him. So I think he's really ready and willing and able to put all that stuff behind him and be the quarterback the Browns want him to
1: be. What's been your perception? And I don't know, Mary Kay, how many – I know they had the introductory press conference. I don't know if you've had a chance to go one-on-one with him. Um, but what, what's been your opinion, perspective on him now that he's the guy?
2: Well, I think he's done a really good job since he's been here. He was all business during his pre-draft press. Con- I mean, during his post-draft press conference. I mean, at the Senior Bowl, I had, uh, you know, just a, a few issues of things that I saw with the way he moved around there and the way that he, you know, just operated in a few areas that that I didn't particularly think said face of the franchise to me. Um, but he has since kind of proven to me that. You know what? Hey, he was young. He really wasn't realizing that you have to talk to everybody, uh, you know, with respect, regardless of, you know, I mean, you guys have seen some of the stuff that even Robert Klumko wrote about, you know, how he sort of treated a a Chicago scout and, you know, the San Diego thing with not thinking that he had time to learn their playbook. I think he's been set straight on those things. Mm -hmm. And I think that's good. I mean, nobody knows what it's like to have to come up here and realize that, you know, you've got to put your big boy pants on and you have to, you have, to have a certain uh, degree of humility and respect for people here at this level. And I think he knows that now. I think they've, I think they've put him in contact with people like Chad Pennington who helped him, started helping him at the Senior Bowl. And so I think he's kind of gotten his head on straight with that sort of stuff. I do think that, you know, he may have been headed down the wrong road in that regard a little bit, and I think he's gotten that turned around.
1: That's a great point, and that stuff we would never know. Uh, we're hanging out with Mary Kay Cabot. She writes and covers the Cleveland Browns for Cleveland.com. So there's a part of me that's selling a narrative, and if you want to swat this to Kimbe Matombo style, I'm fine with it. But I, I get it they're coming off an 0-16 season, and I understand, Mary Kay, you've seen the worst of the worst when it comes to football. But this is a different regime. We're talking about names that are respected in the NFL. John Dorsey, you brought it up, Scott McLuhan and the incredible job he did at what? San Francisco, and he I, I had been involved in so many key personnel decisions. Alonzo Highsmith, Elliot Wolf. I mean, there are really good personnel minds. So there's a part of me when people say, Oh, same old Browns, I say, uh, not so fast. This is a different regime. These are smart football minds. Am I off base?
2: No, you're, you're exactly right. And that's why I think we do have to trust these guys, and we, we have to give them the benefit of the doubt. And I think that, you know, it's easy to look at this and say, well, you know, six-foot-tall quarterbacks usually just don't succeed in the NFL and those sorts of things. But they got a lot of really good eyes on this situation. They had, again, yep. Scott McLuhan, Hugh Jackson, Todd Haley, uh, Elliot Wolfe, Alonzo yeah. Heisman, people that have been around you know, hall of fame quarterbacks and know what they're looking at. So I think that everyone, the fans and everyone, I mean, let's give these guys the benefit of the doubt and trust their talent evaluation skills. And, you know, they, I've actually watched some film of, of Baker Mayfield, not just by myself, which I did a lot of that, but with John Dorsey and, and he really pointed out some things that he likes about baker mayfield and you can see you can see it on film i mean he's got the accuracy he's got the arm he's got the footwork the agility, you know the vision and all of those sorts of things so let's just give everybody a chance to to let this work
1: i noticed that you uh had done some solid research and saw that there were uh more than just say the cleveland browns that had baker atop their draft board and you know, I, I understand that whenever you talk about checking boxes, Sam Darnold does them all physically. But, uh, Mary Kay, as you started to dig into that a little bit, were you surprised to see how many teams had Baker number one on their board as well?
2: Well, I had heard rumblings that a number of other teams did, so I decided, you know, I wanted to find this out for myself. So I tried to uh, contact as many people as I could, and I'm not talking about, you know, low-level people. I'm I'm I talked to – a couple of head coaches, I talked to GMs, I talked to higher-level personnel executives. And what I've gotten back so far, I got four definites. Uh, I know for a fact that four teams had him at the top of their board, and then I got a couple other, um, you know, for a little bit more indirectly saying I'm pretty sure he was. So, um, So I would say it's roughly half a dozen teams, according to the sources that I have talked to so far that had him number one on their board. And thats I think that's pretty significant. It's not like the Browns were the only ones that
1: saw it this way. Hey, two more quick ones, and I'll let you go. Mary Kay Cabot's hanging out with us, giving us some perspective on the Cleveland mindset now that Baker Mayfield is their guy. First of all, what's next? I mean, I know many camps. I know there's some OTAs right around the corner. But what's really that first moment whenever we're going to kind of – See Baker as a Brown. I know we don't have to wait till the fall, but as far as camps and minicamps and rookie camps go, Mary Kay, what's that schedule like now going forward for Cleveland?
2: Well, he's only got the rookie minicamp this weekend, so you just don't get a really good feel for how he's going to be interacting with the veterans and, and that sort of thing. Uh, the first time you know that you'll really get a, a very good feel for that probably will be the veteran mandatory minicamp in June, and that's early June that's when you'll start to you know see him you know alongside Tyrod Taylor and Drew Stanton and those guys. I mean we've got some OTAs before that, but that that mini camp is the first time where you see the whole squad together for the first time. So uh, that'll be something to watch for and then he's got to go back and work on whatever they told him to work on and come back really really ready to go and he's got to know that playbook inside and out when he hits Berea in July.
1: And then finally They did spend a third-round pick to bring in Tyrod Taylor. And, I mean, I've read you for years, Mary Kay. I know we could go through a laundry list of times whenever a veteran was brought in and he was beat out by a rookie, Matt Flynn in Seattle, uh, Matt Schaub in Oakland. But, I mean, do we worry at all about a schism with two guys like this that it could split a locker room? Or will Hugh Jackson be able and Todd Haley be able to manage that situation?
2: Oh, they'll definitely be able to manage it. The only thing that they're they're going to have to take into account is that there will be sort of media pressure, probably national pressure, which I think has already started, uh, to yeah. get Baker May- Mayfield in there. Maybe some fan pressure. Uh, but I think it'll bring out the best in Tyrod as well. And uh, Hugh Jackson is committed to letting Baker learn the game, not throwing them out there too early. And they've got plenty of experience with throwing rookies out there too early in this town over the last <laughs> two years. So I think or over the last how many every year. But I think that they will have the patience to, I mean, Baker has to learn how to play under center. I think the statistic sure. is something like seven snaps under center. Uh, and even though that only happens, probably will only happen about 20% of the time in the offense they're going to. Uh, I still think that it's vitally important for him. To learn no matter how good you look in training camp it's way different when you have nfl uh, edge rushers bearing down on you
1: you buying the, the new england patriots talk about trying to get up there to get them
2: i you know I'm, I'm waiting to hear usually uh the the truth on those sorts of things starts to trickle out soon after reports like that happen <laughs> I, I can kind of see it I, you know just based on how the the whole thing went down with josh mcdaniel's going to have that late meeting with him and and Baker finally agreeing to go have the, um, you know, have that meeting with Josh I, I, I can kind of see it, but I'm interested to hear, uh, you know, what, what some of the reporters close to the situation
1: come up with. She's a great follow on Twitter, at Mary Kay Cabot, and I would imagine not only with Baker, but DJ Ward, Eric Rin getting undrafted free agent invites. Dominique Meek's already up there, uh, so good to see Dom getting an opportunity. He was an undrafted free agent that has excelled with the Cleveland Browns, so there are some fun ties to Cleveland beyond just Baker Mayfield. Well, that'll do it for this week's edition of the Sooner Sports Podcast. We were hoping to hear from Toby Rowland, um, But I completely screwed up the recording. So Toby will join us coming up on next week's edition of the Sooner Sports Podcast. Big news in baseball this weekend as the Skip Johnson-led Sooner squad is in town against Kansas State. A new Saturday starter. Levi Prater from reliever to starter. It's going to be awesome. Check it out. Pack the park this weekend for Oklahoma and Kansas State. The final home series for the Sooners this season so until tuesday everyone have a great week make sure to thank our sponsors that make this all possible the riverwind resort all state and thank you for downloading and listening to the sooner sports podcast until tuesday have a great weekend a boomer sooner everybody this has been the sooner sports podcast make sure to get all the latest episodes online right now at sooner sports.tv slash podcast And make sure to follow us on Twitter at OU on the air.
2: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable.